You're listening to Poldark Fancast, a podcast about the Poldark saga created by Poldark fans, and we're your hosts. My name is Rita, I live in England, I Tumblr at Princess of Poldark, and I tweet at Rita Bites. And I'm Michelle, I live in the States. Uh, you can find me on Tumblr at Poldark Muses, and I tweet at Musings. And on this week's podcast, we will be recapping and discussing episode 508, the last ever episode of the show. And I'm going to put a little question mark in there. <laughs> uh, which aired this past Monday night on BBC One. BBC One! BBC Two! Sorry. <laughs> so this is your spoiler warning for all you folks outside the UK who haven't yet seen the episode. And we mean it this time. We're talking about the saga ending. All right. Are, are, are they all gone? Okay, the rest of us can dive into a recap of the episode. So the episode began with a five months later flashing up on the screen. And it'll become pretty obvious, wonky hashtag product time is in effect. So please feel free to ignore that five months. (laughs) Anyway, during those five months, Ross has managed to ingratiate himself in the smuggling operation with a nameless hot French guy. Sweet. (laughs) and has apparently started leading Tess on romantically or at least sexually. Why? Lord fucking knows. Maybe it's kind of like Fast and the Furious in the sense that he thinks doing a lot of morally dubious shit will convince everyone around him he isn't a cop. Or in this case, a double agent working for the Crown. Demelza confronts Ross about why he hasn't done a fucking thing to stop the ore being stolen when everyone and their nan knows Jacker and Tess are responsible. And honestly, if half their ore isn't being sold, how is their mind still in business? Question. <laughs> good, good question. Anyway, Ross is like, I'm waiting to find out the full extent of the theft. Cool story, bro, but Demelza's is more concerned about the huge stack of weapons she found last episode. Ross tells her that because the new Prime Minister, Henry Addington, is seeking a peace treaty with Bonaparte, the Treaty of Amen, which we uh, spoke about in our episode of 507 podcast, remember that mm-hmm. last week? Uh, there is unlikely to be a planned invasion of England anytime soon. Turns out Ross is still a lying liar who lies. Meanwhile, guess who's back? It's Ralph Hansen and Joseph Merceron, <laughs> the, the Wonder Twins. Um, they've come back to Cornwall despite it going against the logic of last week's conclusion. Ross follows them into the only pub in Truro where they are having a Poldark Villains convention. George Warleggan, Carrie Warleggan, and Justice Hulse are all sitting around drinking a pint and talking about how awful Ross's behavior has been. They say he really ought to join the French army. Lord knows the British one won't have him anymore. Ross, still in character as Traitor Ross, asks, If your own country betrays you, to whom do you owe loyalty? Um, I'll take your wife for 100, Alex. Later that night, Demelza asks Ross how he came by the gigantic red cut mark that he has on his neck. You know, five months after he got it, and it's still looking, like, unhealed. Um, Anyway, Ross lies and says he doesn't recall. Demelza, tired of his evasiveness, warns him that even a tiny scratch can fester and infection can set in. 
Hashtag metaphor. She becomes more explicit and says she fears losing him of late. That she wonders where he is, where he is going all the time. Ross tries to reassure her, telling her she has no cause to mistrust anything he says. But of course, he is lying again. Yay! Valentine <laughs> is being a prick and yelling at his maid that he should have a mind of his own. Child, you're like seven. Calm down. He asks his father to give him one. Carrie calls him an impudent brat. But George actually considers it, knowing that it would anger Ross to know that wheel leisure is now a plaything for a child. Classic George. Mm -hmm. Demelza, clearly not convinced by Ross's lies, goes down the closed wheel leisures to spy on the smugglers. When she gets there, she is horrified to hear Ross and Tess together, acting like lovers and planning their future trysts. No. Not now. Why not? Someone might come. Tell him to scoff. Deny me then. Say you don't want me. Would I dare? Then dare thy body, and I'll dare mine. For we both know we long for it. And because of that, let us find a more fitting place and occasion so we can take our time and enjoy to the full. When Tess and Ross head out to the beach, George, Carrie, and Valentine are riding past. We'll leisure and uh, spot them on the beach together. He wonders what the scullery maid would think about that and then spots some smugglers and realizes Ross is with them. Side note who smuggles in broad daylight in plain view of all their enemies? Oh my god. God, no, no sense at all. Debbie, there are more plot holes here than Swiss cheese. Mm-hmm. Anyway, George, Carrie, Ralph, and Mercer and then meet up to brainstorm what to do with this information. George, to his credit, looks uncomfortable when Merceron says he plans to spin it as more than just a simple smuggling venture and into treason. When Ross arrives home for lunch, Demelza asks him, in a sort of season three roundabout way, otherwise known as passive-aggressive behavior, to be honest with her. (laughs) Ross, despite not knowing she has seen him with Tess, immediately goes into defense mode. He tells her that there are some persons and events which the particulars of which he has never asked about, referencing, of course, Hugh Armitage. Demelza very much still wants the truth, but Ross warns her to be sure that she wants to hear it. Um, in this case, Ross, considering you're not cheating on her, it would be better to hear it. This entire conversation is bonkers, and we'll talk more about this later. Um, as a result, Demelza packs herself and the kids up and tells Ross she is off to kill Warren. He doesn't do much to stop her. At Killawarren, Dwight and Caroline use this billionth Romelza fight as an excuse to get into their own fight. Caroline again insists Dwight cared for Kitty more than he actually did, and even brings up the long-ignored season one storyline of Karen Daniel, who Dwight famously fucked while she was married. Dwight is like, I'm done with this shit, and he rides off to yell at Ross. (laughs) (laughs) Ross, your arrogance. 
Your presumption that this concerns none but yourself, have you still not understood that subterfuge destroys? You speak from experience. I speak from experience, yes. From knowledge of lives affected. Actions which had consequences. What actions? Actions of mine? Actions of yours. What consequences? What consequences? Ask George. He lives with them every day. Well, he's not with Valentine every day, but we get your point, Dwight. Dwight tells Ross that Demelza knows of his affair with Tess, but instead of horrifying him into telling her the truth, he says that it suits him to have her away from Nampara, and then says he no longer loves Demelza. Burn him! What? Burn him at the stake! What the actual <laughs> fuck? Uh, Ross is apparently incapable of telling Demelza of his plan, but he has zero problem telling his 16-year-old cousin, Jeffrey Charles, who he introduces <laughs> to General Toussaint. The general is staying at Numpara for a few days to prepare for the invasion. But unbeknownst to him, Ross is being spied on by one of Merceron's lackeys. And to be fair, he's doing all of his treasonous activities in broad daylight. You call yourself a spy, mm. Ross? He reports back to the villain club of Ross's involvement with the French army and everyone rejoices at the thought of another hanging. Back at Nampara, Ross learns that the invasion is planned for next month and suddenly has to come up with a plan. He ropes in Dwight, asking him to take detailed notes of his conversations with Toussaint while hiding under the study in the famous Season 2 trap door room, kind of like an 18th century wiretapping. He also ropes in Drake, Sam, and Zachy Martin. They're going to explode wheel leisure for reasons that will become clear. Demelza tells Caroline that hearing Ross with Tess has brought back all of the memories of his betrayal with Elizabeth and that her faith in Ross has been broken. She plans to head out on a ship to Jamaica to join Kitty and Cecily that night, but Caroline, who has been informed of what's going on from her husband, so it's not really that much of a top secret, stops her and tells her the truth. Demelza, proving herself to be an actual living saint, feels bad for Tess for being lied to by Ross? Girl, you don't need to worry about that. So, espionage time. Uh, Dwight writes down all the intel he can, then jumps on a horse and rides off to a messenger. The messenger is to take his notes to London and then, presumably, to not that Mr. Wickham. But the message is stolen by Merceron's lackey. The lackey takes the note to previously named villain club of George, Carey, Ralph, and Merceron, who read it in horror, realizing that Ross isn't colluding with the French, but is, in fact, a hero. Merceron decides the notes will never reach London, but will, in fact, reach General Toussaint. Still the same night, Demelza arrives at Nampara and finds Ross and General Toussaint toasting to cheating on their wives. Classy. And she's closely followed by a very dramatic entrance from Ralph Hansen, who shows up holding two pistols and tells Toussaint he has proof of Ross's double cross. Hansen doesn't seem to care that by exposing Ross, he's screwing over his own country. What mm -hmm. a twat. <laughs> General Toussaint points a pistol at Ross. Demelza proves herself to be a much better spy than Ross and manages to convince General Toussaint that she'd love for someone to kill Ross, but that she doesn't want him to have too swift a death. She'd like him to be tortured a little, to make him pay for all the pain he's caused her, you know. 
General Toussaint, apparently unable to withstand some very mild flirting from Demelza, suggests a sword duel. Meanwhile, at Wheel Leisure, Sam, Drake, Jeffrey Charles, and Zachy Martin have filled the mine shaft with the smoke from some firecracker type things and held the smugglers at gunpoint while they stole all their arms away. Then they blast the mine some more, causing a rock fall, imprisoning the French in the caves, and they will later be taken as prisoners. Ross and General Toussaint begin their sword fight and blah blah blah. Uh, we're not describing it because sword fights are boring, although quite attractive. <clears throat> um, anyway, it's the big puffy white shirt. It, it does nothing shit. for me. Anyway. I, I, can you imagine me trying to describe <laughs> it? Like, play, play. Somebody uh, yeah, po- no, points, no. pointy stab, other pointy stab, twisting around. <laughs> <laughs> yes, writing fight scenes is pretty damn boring. Um, but anyway, at a critical moment when Ross was distracted, Ralph Hansen sneaks behind Ross and points a gun at his head. And just as we all scream, oh my god, Ross, look behind you, a gunshot goes off and Ralph falls to the floor. He's been shot by George? George, who then shoots and kills General Toussaint. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Yay! Go, George! <laughs> Ralph, however, is still alive and tries to take aim for Ross with his other pistol. Demelza moves quickly and grabs it off him. Ralph grabs no, his no, letter back Ra- off. Ralph? You said Ralph grabs the letter off of Ralph. <laughs> oh, Lord, no. No, it's Ross who grabs the letter back off of Ralph and then offers George brandy. Thank you. No. Think I might poison you? I wouldn't rule it out. lol well he does end up taking that brandy and what follows is the cutest scene where ross thanks him for helping and george tells him he didn't do it for him he did it for his country they both agree that they will revert to their usual animosity but all the venom of their interaction has vanished elsewhere Moena, who is now 17 months pregnant going by the size of her belly decides that during this massive crisis is the best time to go into labor I mean, what? Well, now, honestly, did she really decide? It was like her body decided. No, she's an attention seeker. She was like, "Mm, (laughs) I feel like other people have the spotlight. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) Demelza's called for for, and the baby plops out without too much of a problem, just in time for Drake to arrive home and name her Love Day. Quite possibly the stupidest name we've had in five seasons of Nonsense. Now there's only 15 minutes left, it's time to wrap up the show. We begin with a Ross and Demelza bedroom scene where he basks in how amazing Demelza is at improv. She truly should join some kind of troupe and tells her he should never have kept things from her. We've been saying that for like almost a hundred podcasts now. I mean, good fucking Lord, Ross. (laughs) He thanks her for saving his life, and she recalls that he saved hers when he pulled her from that dogfight. See? They're even. They do some snogging, and then he lifts her up and carries her to bed. Yes! Unfortunately, it cut to black, and I'm still better. Uh, Rosita pulls Sam aside and tells him that he deserves to be happy too. Despite the fuckery he pulled with Tess, she doesn't hold a grudge and hopes that they can be wed as they had previously planned. He, obviously, says yes. Over at Killa Warren, 
Dwight and Caroline sit down together and have their first honest conversation of the season. She tells him that her bizarre insistence that Dwight had feelings for Kitty was just an excuse for her to keep him at arm's length for fear she might become pregnant again. No matter how much the thought of losing another child scares them, they both say they're ready to open their hearts again and kiss. Ross arrives in London to see, not that Mr. Wickham, who says that his account confirms others he has received around England and France. Prime Minister Addington will not heed this information and is going to sign the treaty anyway. But Ross's risks were not for naught, not for naught. He has averted an invasion, his prisoners have good intel, and he has restored his good name in the eyes of the crown. He now uses that leverage to have Merceron and Hansen imprisoned, and in exchange he agrees to a new covert mission. We cut to a scene of Ralph and Merceron in their nightshirts. They've been dragged out of their beds and are being charged. And who's the judge? Justice House! i.e. Robin Williams, original flavor Ross. Hey, we love Yay. you. Uh, Ross hands him a list of charges that include bribery, corruption, fraud, blackmail, false witnesses, mistreatment of prisoners, and murder. Your servant, sir. And yours, sir. The two Russes united and taken down the bad guys. We love you, Robin. Come back. Yes, spin off. Just a spin off. I was yes. God, I was hoping he was going to show up this season. I was like, come on, we're running out of time. Valentine is telling his maid that when he has his new mind, he will visit Uncle Ross all the time because Ross cares a great deal about mines, and Papa does not. George overhears this and worries. He then goes to Nampara. By the way, is this episode the first time he's ever visited Nampara? That was like such an awkward entrance. Prudy was like, and he's here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, I actually think he was there at uh, Julia's christening. Oh, back in the day. I think. Yeah, way back in season one. He informs Ross and Demelza that he plans on closing Trenwith, that Truro and London will be his new homes. A win for Ross, who has always resented his presence in a Poldark home. In a weirdly polite tone, he also asks that Valentine is refused a visit after all. He is no relation. Ross looks dubious but agrees. <laughs> it's a wet and windy day, but that doesn't stop the party for Sam and Rosina's wedding. Watching the procession is Tess, who confronts Ross about how he led her on. Ross points out that she tried to burn his house down while his children were inside it sleeping. He feels no guilt. But he did save her from the noose, and by all rights, she would have been hung for all the treason that she did. And that's all the payoff we have on that storyline. Ross has been given a new assignment, and this time he shares it with Demelza. Turns out that... Wasn't even a conflict, yeah. He's being sent to France covertly to spy on Bonaparte's re-armoring. Dwight is joining him for some reason. He's going undercover studying medicine with Dr. Pinnell. Ross asks Demelza if he has her consent, and she says yes, on the condition that he returns before harvest. And that's not because she's pervy and loves watching him scythe, but I'm sure that's part of it. 
But it's actually because the next little baby Podoc is on its way. Yay! <laughs> She's having his baby! Uh, Jeff- yeah! <laughs> Jeffrey Charles has received his place back at his military academy and says he trusts in the fact that one day he will love a girl more ardently than he did his first love. George and Valentine are packing up and leaving Trenwith. Just as they climb into the carriage, a ghostly apparition of Elizabeth climbs out and back into the building. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, time for the contractually obligated Romelza Clifftop scene. She says that they will be lighting beacons across the south coast of England in anticipation of the peace between England and France. Now, this is a great place for me to point out that Nampara said on the north coast of Cornwall. (laughs) And the only people who would have seen those fucking beacons are possibly the Welsh. You would think after five seasons, Debbie Morseville would have realised this, but whatever. Back to the show. (laughs) Ross says that if they have a boy, he wants to name it Henry. And if it's a girl, Demelza wants to name her Isabella Rose. He asks her if she is afraid, and she is like, um, of course, I have you as a husband. (laughs) No, for real. She says something far more romantic. We're here. We're alive. We have blood in our veins. And the past is gone. Tomorrow doesn't exist. All that matters is now. And we. Two hearts. One beat. Can't ask any more than that. There isn't any more to ask. They kiss, and then as Ross turns to leave, she asks him if he will come back, and he replies with, I swear to you, my love, I will return. And Ross and his flappy coat make their way towards the boat that will take him to France. The end. Dramatic drop music. Dun, 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 dun. Pulled flappy up. coat scene. Flappy, flap, flap. It was particularly flappy. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> they got a wind machine, didn't they? They Mariah carried that shit. They, they had to have. I mean, it it can be windy, uh, you know, along the the, the cliffs, coast, but, but not it, like was... next to the shore. Those were chore- almost choreographed flaps. I wonder if they had like somebody pulling strings or something. Like <laughs> his coat was a marionette. <laughs> yes. Oh gosh. So uh, let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, did you like the episode? So from George shooting the general onwards, I loved the episode. I would mm-hmm. give it five tricorns from that onwards. The problem is the 45-ish minutes of the episode before that Ugh. were just such a damn mess and, like, pissed me off so much that I'm going to have to say no. I mean, I honestly struggled to follow the fucking plot for the first time ever because none of it really made sense. And on rewatch, um, it turns out there was no logic for me to follow anyway. Uh, Debbie was just throwing anything out there and seeing what landed. Ugh, yeah, um... Uh, I have to agree. The only improvement was that the pacing slowed down from Mach 5 uh, in episode uh, 507 to Mach 2, this one, which, 
you know, is a little bit better, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was extremely difficult to have, uh, the plot that was supposedly happening between those two episodes, uh, really, uh, to, to allow it some time to breathe because there was no time left. You know, this is what happens when one mismanages the time one is given to tell a story. Um, Agreed. You know, and I'm tired of hearing people say, well, if it didn't have all the dramas, no one under the age of 30 would watch it. And I just have to call bullshit. As somebody who is still under the age of 30 mm-hmm. for the next few months, at least. <laughs> I call bullshit too. We're not all stupid. Yeah. We do like to follow storylines that make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, yes. don't patronize me. <laughs> exactly, and that's really kind of what it felt like. It felt like it was a, a patronization of uh, you know individuals who have uh, deep and abiding love for this saga, um, as well as the folks who may not have heard of the the Poldark saga. Uh, before and have only been introduced to it through this series which i'm raising my hand because that's me um (laughs) um and we didn't need all of this ridiculous modern style drama in order to really delve into the beautiful story that uh poldark represents i think by trying to stick in all of the cliches that we've had from previous seasons Mm -hmm. previous seasons we've had like maybe one hanging a season one jailbreak every couple years like trying to stick Mm -hmm. them all in the same season like we got a sword fight a baby a mine explosion like it was all too (laughs) much for me i was i was just overwhelmed i couldn't keep track of everything yeah yeah so yeah too much the only i mean the only moment that actually had me um a little choked up was the um contractually obligatory romelza clifftop scene that scene had me just (laughs) especially especially when she asked him if he was going to return and he turns and looks at her and he has tears in his eyes and i i i I, yeah yeah i lost it for me it was uh the uh two rosses scene (laughs) from a purely like nostalgia place i was like yeah really emotional about what it meant for robin Mm -hmm. as well um Mm -hmm. but like the absolutely is more of a meta moment and it didn't come from the actual show. I felt no real emotion during the actual, like babies were being <laughs> born, couples getting reunited. And I was just like, okay, Elizabeth, ghost Elizabeth came out and I was like, oh, okay, fine. That's done. Um, what else have we got next? Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for ghost Elizabeth to show up uh, at that window. Same. <laughs> the window of doom. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, the the I we'll get more into favorite scenes uh, in a little bit. But um, I have to agree with you about the scene with Robin and Aiden. That was just that was wonderful. Okay, let's delve into our historical fact check. 
uh, for this episode. What you got, Okay. Linda? So just so you know, General Jules Toussaint, not a real person. I did Google it. There was actually like a General Toussaint something um, who was like black rebel from Haiti. Like that's a, I would just Google that. Like that was a good read. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. in terms of actual people referenced, uh, Philippe Pinel was a French physician who uh, was instrumental in the development of more humane psychological approach to the custody and care of psychiatric patients. Uh, referred to today as moral therapy. He also made notable contributions to the classification of mental disorders and has been described by some as the father of modern psychiatry. In an 1809 description of a case that Pennell recorded in the second edition of his textbook on insanity is regarded by some as the earliest evidence to the existence of the form of mental disorder later known as schizophrenia. So... A really great guy for Dwight to hang out with, seeing as how he just suddenly is an expert on mental disorders this season out of nowhere. <laughs> so I've, I've really enjoyed doing all these little history check, uh, sections every week, but this last episode, my knowledge kind of backfired on me and made me furious at the show as I was watching it. I'm used to internal problems with the timeline on the show, but this one really took mm-hmm. the biscuit. You can't reference real-life events with as much prominence as Nez Hanging, which happened in 1803, and then go back in time a year <laughs> to the Treaty of Amiens, which happened at the beginning of 1802, and have that happen after it. It's insulting. <laughs> Just, uh, it's so annoying because Winston Graham used real-life people and events all the time in his work. But he never had to mm-hmm. alter historical facts and events to fit his narratives. He respected his readers enough to not do that. I can't say the same about this mm-hmm. adaptation. They're just fucking with us all the time, and we're just supposed to take it. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's just, it, uh, God, I, 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 I got nothing. Also, it's really bizarre to have like, oh, the French are trying to invade Cornwall, but. You know, the Prime Minister's going to ignore that. <laughs> okay, why? Oh, gosh. Well, thank you so much for the, the history. I know you mentioned uh, General Toussaint from Haiti, and um, actually this is just kind of a random little thing, but I looked him up on uh, Wikipedia, and it's Francois-Dominique Toussaint Louverture is his name. Goodness. Um he was a French general and best known as the leader of the Haitian Revolution. Um, and that took place uh, back in the um, early or the, the very late um, 18th century. And um, there was a play once that uh, was called Defiant Island, I think it was. And my dad, back in the day, uh, used to do a little theater acting um, here t- here in town. And uh, they performed this play that's based on oh. this character in the Haitian uh, Revolution. So It all circles back, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, weird connection. Uh, but, but yeah. So I, I wonder I if Debbie in. came across <laughs> him and named him after... Random, though, Could because be. that guy seems nothing like the character. No, 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 no. So, okay, let's get into the storylines. First up, 
We've got Ross and the Frenchies. So nothing about this storyline actually made any sense, did it? I mean, why would a French general really trust a former English captain that had famously broken a bunch of people out of one of their jails? For the lols? <laughs> that just wouldn't happen. <laughs> no. They went about all no. of their super secret business in broad daylight and just about everyone saw them doing it, including Mercer on Spy. <laughs> How is Ross supposed mm-hmm. to be an agent for the crown when he can't spot someone hiding in his own stables? And he wasn't even doing a very good job. He just sort of <laughs> slunk back one or two steps. <sighs> the connection between the ore and the French weapons were never really explained enough or had any real resolution. What were they doing with the ore and how did they sell the ore to them for in exchange for the arms i don't even really know because she she never bothered to explain it uh yeah ross's elaborate plan to have dwight hide in the trap door seems unnecessarily dangerous ross could have easily just written a note himself after the conversation having a secret mm-hmm. messenger and involving involving a whole different person just makes the whole thing super suspicious and more dangerous, like, come the fuck on, do you not know how to be a spy? <laughs> how does faking a secret affair with Tess actually help him in any way, though? Doesn't adding another level of lying just make things trickier for him to keep track on? You could see Ross getting confused when he was talking to different people, like, what story am I supposed to tell them? <laughs> It was just like, Ross, you're not smart enough for this. Also, why not tell Demelza? She's previously shown herself to be quite good at subterfuge and secret plans. Throughout the seasons, they have done some secret shit and Demelza has been involved. She (laughs) never seemed to be in Mm -hmm. any danger with this. I don't get it. Uh, bravo, girl. You like just nailed all kinds of points down the line. And I'm going to say samesies with one additional point. We have been assailed with the inclusion of the Tess Tregiden character who's not in the books. And she's represented all of the suckage about being a member of the vulgar class back in the day. However, through all the chaos she has wrought... From fire setting to booze thievery, not on Prudy's watch, to forgery, to man thievery, to smuggling, all of that resolves with her just slinking away up the road. The idea that getting your heart broken by Ross Poldock is somehow the worst punishment a woman can receive is a joke. The bitch tried to burn the house mm-hmm. down. Exactly. She's 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 committed hanging offenses on several occasions. And, you know, it's just like, okay, we just spared your neck. Go away. I'm sorry. That was a whole lot of time that was spent on that character that we can't get back. I mean, if you're not going to resolve it properly, don't do it in the first place. Don't do it. Kind of like with the ore shit. Why yes. even introduce stealing ore? You could have just said, oh, we've stumbled into some caves and saw some arms and, oh, mm-hmm. I think some French people are here. You didn't need to add an ore-stealing subplot no. that went nowhere. 
Nobody no. understood it. It doesn't make Mm-mm. any sense. I'm getting really angry. We should probably move on. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's move on. Let's move on. Um, so let's talk about Demelza and Ross. What a clusterfuck. <laughs> Ross acted so horrendously throughout. I was actively rooting for Demelza to get on that damn boat. Side note, how cool would that spin-off be? Sisters and Arms in Jamaica. That's the theme tune. <laughs> I really thought we'd seen the last of season three, Ross, but there he was to rear his ugly head back when it was convenient for the plot and when it made absolutely no sense for his character. Um, (laughs) The last few scenes were incredibly sweet and beautifully acted, uh, but for me, the whole thing was just tainted by Ross willing to jeopardize his relationship again for not very much. He's just like... "Hmm." I'll drive her away. Just yeah. for the lull. It's a Tuesday. I'm a bit bored. I'll tell her I don't <laughs> love her. Oh, God. Yeah, the return of season three, Ross, was inexcusable. Just inexcusable. Uh, shame on you, Debbie, for even thinking that this would be a, a great way to end this beautiful, beautiful series uh, by having this happen again. Um Personally, I say, bring on the takeover of Jamaica, damn it. I'm ready to see that. Actual sunshine and the beach. Mm-hmm. Be so good. Yes. Um, so, George and Ross. Fucking, finally I get the content I was waiting for all season. <laughs> this is book George, people. Yes. Book George. He's never yes. really a Ross fan, but he's also not actively trying to ruin Loss- Ross's life all the time. Because at the end of the day, he doesn't care that much. That's George. Uh, I was really moved by the scene where he asked Ross to not allow Valentine to visit. He was so straightforward and unconfrontational. Who Mm -hmm. knew? Uh, I know. We'd never have got that before uh, Elizabeth's death. And now they have both kind of grown up and chilled a little. And I just love it. I'm here for it. Mm -hmm. I wish there was more of this. Than just the tiny hmm. snippet we got at the end of the season. I think it would have been nice to drop a few of these scenes out throughout yeah. season five. But what do I know? Yeah. I mean, and you know, there's a part of me that, that wonders, you know, kind of we get from the point where George is, um, you know, actively, you know, hating on Ross, you know, like really super hard to the point where he is a little unnerved by what um, Ralph and Merceron are going to do uh, related to um, treason and all that other kind of stuff. Um, I wish that we had seen a little bit more of this shift from, um, you know, printing up pamphlets to to ruin Ross's life to this uh, more mature Oh, it was version abrupt George, as fuck, wasn't you know? it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, it was lovely seeing it. And God, I loved the scene between the two of them after George shows up to save the day. And they're standing at the fireplace at Nampara with the brandy. I just, uh, oh my God, I lived for that scene. That was fantastic. So what about the Caroline and Dwight stuff? Oh, well, far be it from us to hope to get some Carolite worthy of season two. Ugh. Honestly, I just, I can't. I cannot with this. 
Oh, wasn't it just beautifully acted nonsense? Oh, yes. I mean, do I have to pull out a calendar and explain to everyone how many years it's been since Sarah died? Not to say that grief has an expiration date, but to use Kitty as an excuse not to fuck Dwight would be bizarre in the extreme, given that he didn't meet her until several years after the death, and a reconciliation of Dwight and Caroline had an explanation, and his explanation, and this explanation was just like, what the fuck? Even as I was watching Luke and Gabrielle act the shit out of it, I was just like, that doesn't make any sense, though. (laughs) You only met her, like, last year, and she died ages ago, and surely you've had sex between now and then. Honestly, yeah. Um, And I think, when I think of the scene where, um, you know, Drawena have their baby, and, you know, and Morwenna is holding the baby, and you see Caroline watching, and then she makes the decision to go over and hold the baby. Um, and you see Dwight looking at Caroline while she's holding the baby. That was absolutely gorgeous. That was gorgeous. But it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. <laughs> You're just like, why is such beautiful acting wasted on something that doesn't make sense? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Anyhow, it was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, very moving, but good lord almighty. What a mess. Okay. Okay, so let's, speaking of uh, Drawena and the baby, what do you think about that? I mean, in a show that was filled to the brim with ridiculous names, this really takes a biscuit. I was talking to somebody on Twitter and they were like, it's a good name. And I was like, no, it it sounds like a 70s porn star name. Like, no. (laughs) Also, is uh, is Love Day older than Bella? I don't, I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem book canon, but I could be wrong because honestly, I don't care about her. <laughs> well, um, I have to break it to you, my friend. Um, the name Love Day is total book canon. <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't hear her name until uh, we get to Miller's Dance. Uh, she's just referred to as, you know, the their daughter um, prior to that. Um, and she is older. Um, I'm not sure by how many months, but uh, Love Day, according to the um, family tree that is in the front of um, each of the books, uh, Love Day was born in 1801 and Bella in 1802, which is all out of whack with the show timeline, as you know you mentioned earlier before. But you know, hey, burn the timeline to the ground. Like it's it's done. It's canceled. Yeah, insert shrug emoji. I'm just too worn out to really care. So even see, even in Winston Graham's canon, um, Morwenna got over her. I don't want to sleep with anybody, or I can't be affectionate with anybody. Oh my god, unless that no 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 because if she was born even if she was born at the end of eighteen oh one, that she would have had to have been conceived at the start of eighteen oh one. But water like it took her like two or three months. It took her two or three months to get over that and then she immediately fell pregnant. Yeah. Fuck you, Winston. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting very worked up, but that doesn't make any sense. This is the first <sighs> time I've even had to think about this. But that's bonkers. Yeah. I yeah. hope everybody feels guilty about this entire mess of a storyline because it's not doing anybody <sighs> any favors. But, you know, we're not supposed to be 
smart enough to actually figure this out, you know, according to them. <sighs> I just want better for Moena's storyline, but well, you know, <laughs> we get what we get. Okay, let's talk about your boy, your boo, Sam and Rosina. Bless Tom York, you know, he he really tried to sell Guilty Sam to us. And it's a waste of time because PBS will just cut it out of the series anyway. <laughs> oh, snap! Snap! Oh, God, I hope not. Uh, because that singular moment, you know, when uh, she basically says, you know, I'd still take you. <laughs> and he has that breathtaking look uh, on his face. Oh, my God, I sighed so hard I almost passed out. I mean, I am definitely shipping Sam and Rosina and uh, happy to say that I'm certain they had a happier wedding night than Drake and Morwenna <laughs> through no fault of their own. Damn you, Vicka. Damn you. Damn you and your toe obsession. We're in toes forever. God, wretched. So what's your favorite scene? Uh, Ross asking George if he thinks he... Uh, uh, if he wants a drink, and then George is like, nah. And then he's like, ooh, do you think I would poison you? And then George says, I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> it was like really bantery and playful, and it made my heart really happy. I'm like, you could be friends. If only you hadn't tortured him with those toes. <laughs> oh, God. That was such a great scene. Um, and the look on George's face when... He'd realized he saved the day, cracked me the hell up. I mean, he's standing there with these these guns, kind of like, did I just do that? <laughs> me? Really? That was that was great. Um, I do think my favorite scene was when Demelza shows up at Nampara and outwits everybody. <laughs> <laughs> she was great. That the was... look on Ross's face, he was like, what are you what? doing? <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. And then, of course, when uh, Reverend Hulse tosses the uh, tosses away the key uh, on the half-brothers of evil, and when he and Ross at your service one another, that was, that was great. It's like, you know, they've come a long way, Reverend Hulse and Ross. Remember when he tried to have Ross hanged? Wasn't that yeah! fun? Uh, yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Least favorite scene. The whole baby being born thing felt like a dumb and unnecessary heightening of tension. I didn't need it in an already bonkers episode. It was too much. Yeah, but, you know, it had to happen, and precisely at that moment. Barf. Barf. Um, My least favorite scene was uh, when Ross and Tess were in the cave and Demelza was witnessing the horror. Uh, My heart really broke for Demelza at that moment. Um, now, that said, uh, the scene where she's passive-aggressively asking Ross about the situation, and you have to admit, it was passive aggression that we were seeing. For sure. And, and when he asked her if she really wanted to know, bringing up the whole thing with Hugh, um, and I know this is going to get me so much hate, so much hate, but Ross had a point. It was not definitely the time to bring it up. But if you recall, she completely shut him down when she brought herself back from those dunes. 
To be fair, it was the end of the season. There was no conversation to be had. (laughs) (laughs) But still, you know, she was basically... She was like, nope. Nope. I'll see you in here. Nope. Don't don't say it. Nope. Nope. I think what's (sighs) nice about this scene is that Ross is using her guilt and manipulating her to just shut down all inquiries about what's going on with him. It's just a tactic. And... If he doesn't want to talk about it, then I think he should just say that. You know, mentioning mm-hmm. the thing, I think is like just a bit underhand and cruel. I mean, effective, but mm-hmm. cruel. Uh, when you forgive yeah. someone I, for something, I think you don't bring it back up again when you want to win points. True. And uh, Michelle, you had huge problems with Demelza doing that in season three and four. <laughs> she just... So Ross is like basically using her own tactics against her. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, every time she passive aggressively brought up Elizabeth, we would be like, "Oh, shut up, Demelza." So I gotta say, you're being a slight hypocrite. I say it with love. But why is it okay for Ross to do it to Demelza and not the other way around? No, 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 no. I, it's. I'm not saying that it's okay for either of them to do this. They both deserve to be dragged for their passive-aggressive miscommunication bullshit. That's true. Um, you know, you know, and 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 ultimately, the only reason why we're kind of sort of arguing about this, quote unquote, is because all of that was written into the script anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so um, why? And also you know, why? That's uh, the main question. Yeah. Why are we bringing this yeah. shit up in this scene unnecessarily? <laughs> It's a scene where, like, it's not about any of that. It's just her going, hey, Rose, can you tell me what's going on? You could have just had him say no. (laughs) And him saying, nope, can't do it. Um, But, you know, hey, hashtag pure drama. But stepping away from all of the emotional bullshit and baggage that that scene represented, you have to admit that it was exquisitely performed by Aiden and Eleanor. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were both face acting the f out of that scene. Um, it was it was it was amazing, and the editing of that was really great because it actually allowed mm-hmm. the room to breathe for once in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. This show let the scene and the emotions of the actors do the bulk of the dramatic work and weren't just oh. like quick cut to an explosion. Oh God, and it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous, and that's that's the kind of stuff that we had back in series one, where you know they would be having these conversations and and or non conversations, and you would see how the scene would evolve from so many different dimensions and perspectives because you had the opportunity to see that that physical. Uh, performance to to feel what was going on um it was I, I, it sounds like i'm talking about this being my my favorite <laughs> scene um but i think it it was just the performance that i thought was absolutely stunning you can tell aiden and eleanor were like oh thank fuck finally <laughs> a scene we can act capital a acted yes let me sink my teeth and gnaw on this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, performance of the week. 
Uh, for me, it was uh, Eleanor Tomlinson. She gave a really mm-hmm. solid, solid and emotional yes. performance when she was given a script of pure lunacy in parts. <laughs> yeah, agree, agree. She did amazing work this week. Um, and I also enjoyed Jack Farthing's performance, um, you know, which has been quite nuanced uh, throughout the series. Um, but uh, this week in particular, I thought that, that he was, he did a fantastic job. Um, and I'll give Aiden props uh, for the emotions that swam through his eyes when uh, De- he and Demelza were parting at the end um, and and the sword fight because, you know, yum. I mean, yeah, I, like I suppose fights. I may find sword fights boring, but I suppose they're technically quite difficult and well done. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Okay, how many tricorns would you give this episode? So, I would give the last 15 minutes of this episode five. But as I said, I really struggle with the fact that I hated the first 45. So, <laughs> <laughs> because of that, ah, uh, because of that, I'm going to give it two. Don't hate me. I'm giving it two. <laughs> um, it gets a three from me uh, this week. Uh, and uh, I think it was because of those brilliant moments of performance that, that we had from, you know, all of the principal actors uh, during the the course of of this episode, um, I just it, it's a shame that they didn't have the opportunity to to really provide, really be given the opportunity to to show the show their chops. Yeah, I wish the writing so. was supporting the performances rather than yeah. the other way around. Yeah. Um, yeah. So over on Twitter. We had our little poll again. Uh, 65% mm-hmm. of people gave it five tricorns. Mm-hmm. 19% gave it four tricorns. 5% mm-hmm. gave it three, tri- three tricorns. And 11% mm-hmm. gave it two tricorns. How many? 11. Woof. So I'm in the 11%. That's pretty, that's pretty stunning. Yeah. I th- Is that the most that we've had in the two category? For the I don't know. I think that we had an, an earlier episode that was very unpopular. Um, mm. But we can check and um, I will tell you all the stats next week in our season five podcast where we will break down what we hated the most. <laughs> that sounds great. Okay, over in Critics Corner, uh, this should really be called Den of Geek Review Corner <laughs> because uh, Louise Mellor always has the best insights and this week is no exception. Quote, wisdom has never been Ross's strong suit, nor of late this shows. While the finale righted a few recent wrongs and dialed back the hyperactive pace, it still landed on the dippy end of the silliness scale, somewhere between high-heeled wellies and dogs wearing backpacks. Making Ross sword fight with the French Lord Flashheart, oof, didn't help the seriousness stakes, nor did Ross's entire undercover scheme, which involved the very first human wiretap operation, wires having yet to be operated, Dwight hid under the carpet and took notes with a pencil, and Frenchie's getting trapped underground by Zaki Martin's fireworks. Uh, it was a rollicking and diverting plot, but also a cruel one. The victim, Frenchie's aside, was the Melza, whose happiness was sacrificed for the greater good. Ross conjured up a secret plan so exclusive that he divulged it only to Dr. Dwight, Jeffrey Charles, Zachy Martin, Caroline Ennis, Drake, Sam, Morwenna Karn, and Garrick the Everlasting Dog. <laughs> Everyone who wasn't Demelza, in short, knew about the mission. 
Even George Warleggan and the Malevolence Brothers discovered it before Mistress Poldark, who was led to believe that her man was betraying her for human mosquito testricidin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, it was at least entirely in character for Ross to think he was protecting his family by royally winding up Demelza and almost dying. <laughs> He's been pulling that shit for years. Um, or it, it's shiz uh, for years. The consistency of his prongdom. Yeah, prongdom. Prong is an insult in England. You're a prong. Oh, okay. So the consistency of his prongdom, though, didn't make it any less frustrating to watch. Alluding to Elizabeth and Hugh in that marital honesty and pork pie conversation was a particularly heartless pork move. Pie was... At that point, <laughs> the pork pie was I... my stand-up for much of that scene. By the way. <laughs> At that point, I was all for Demelza packing the kid's dog, her best rolling pin, and a barrel full of sunscreen and hightailing it to Jamaica to live in a feminist commune with Kitty and Cecily. She didn't, of course, because these characters don't really belong to this show. They're Winston Grahams. Word. And oh my god, can you imagine how much sunscreen she would need to survive in Jamaica? Oh lord. Maybe she shouldn't have gone on that (laughs) spinoff. She wouldn't survive. She's a redhead. Gallons and gallons and gallons. (laughs) Okay, how about inbox? Okay, so our first one is from Carolite Wild, who said, "Honestly, I think that that I think that it's pretty damn good, considering how badly it could have went wrong. Some of the espionage drama belonged earlier in the season, and the Ramelza stuff was rushed and unnecessary. But overall, the way they tied up the plots was, I think, the best they could have done, considering the build-up." The resolving of the Carolite storyline I just wish had been built up sooner, but overall an enjoyable final. The ending did make me cry from pure nostalgia, though. Uh, Single Scripture said, These two episodes felt like their own little microcosm, and I'll definitely have to rewatch, as I'm still a bit confused about all that happened, particularly with Merceron and Ralph. I wish we'd had less Ned to allow the content of the last two episodes to be more spread out. I admit I do love a bit of cheesy, misunderstanding romance plot, but Romelza deserved better. There's so much depth to their relationship in the books and in earlier seasons, so covering this arc in one episode cheapened it a bit for me. While Aiden and Eleanor did some great work, the I no longer love her scene and Demelza's explanation to Caroline, I thought Dee's plan to run off to Jamaica without confronting Ross was way out of character. Ross, don't keep a huge secret from your wife and then tell it to literally everyone else you know. Ross and Tess had about two scenes together before this episode and we're supposed to believe she's genuinely besotted with Ross and he with her. How did that happen? Although I hated every minute of the Ross-Tess scenes we got, so I probably shouldn't be wishing for more. But as it's the last one, let's focus on the good things. I did not expect George to save the day. Who knew he could handle a pistol and kill a man? He's come a long way from his wimpy boxing in season two. And Sam's little face when Rosina told him to get on with it and ask her to marry him. The emotion. Uh, Imagine what Tom York could have done if he was given a proper story arc. Here, here! Um, And finally, we get a bit of proper swooning romance with Romelza. I really like the ending, a pregnancy announcement, George leaving Trenwith, and, of course, Romelza on the cliffs speaking Winston's words. There have been highs and lows, but I love this series. It got me into the books, and the fan cast has been enjoyable and enjoyable. 
often hilarious accompaniment that I enjoy listening to as much as the show. Oh, uh, thanks for all the work you put into it. And please, 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 will you do a book club for the later books? Oh, thank you so much. People are nice. I get so confused. I know. Um, and <laughs> yes, we will do a book club for the later books. Absolutely. Um, so stay tuned for that. Catherine Jane Wood said, how does one even begin to talk about the final ever question mark episode mm-hmm. of Poldark? I love that we're all like, is it the final? Yeah. Um, it was certainly hard to view it as a final when there's so many rumors about an eventual return as a standalone episode or season final. I would have quite liked it. There wasn't too much packed in and Romelza was the heart of the story. But as a show final, it felt wanting. Too many quick endings tied up with a bow as all of the couples get their wrap-up scenes. That said, the last scene was powerful and moved me quite deeply as the final moments of this show. The good. The Carolite finally having a real scene together. Ross knowing Demelza so deeply in the final confrontation he knows she's helping him. And George's face as Elizabeth is reflected in the carriage window. The only good fantasy shot in the show, to be honest. (laughs) The bad. Love Day Khan, hashtag Polduck time, and the weirdly fast wrap-up of Tessa's plot. Thank you, ladies, for all your hard work on the podcast. I love listening to every second. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Anonymous said, I wanted to love so bad, I just felt cheated. I was supposed to feel content and sad about the end. I tried, but that was the biggest misstep the show ever did. I think I'm still holding a grudge about how... The um, how the after of the Elizabeth Ross affair was butchered and how show Ross never really got over St. Lizzie. Um, the after was not maybe Ross the aftermath. Letting... Let's just change it to Could aftermath. Be. Yeah, the aftermath was not Ross letting her go and fixing things with Demelza. Uh, was about Demelza just learning to be okay with her hubby, her hubby love for another, even after her death. So I think this shadow of the undying and the deepest love Ross has had for Elizabeth hurts Ross' character for me, and then add the whole thing in the last episode. I'm happy they all got a happy end, but that big of a conflict that feeds one of Demelza's biggest hurts can't be dealt and fixed in the last 15 minutes of the show. I would hate to see more episodes of that plot, but I don't know, maybe I wouldn't uh, feel so gross about the whole thing uh, and just uh, shrug it over. I get he's a soldier, he had a mission, but for a man that during the show rarely put his family first, this was his chance to do it. We should get that Romelza moment of communicating of honesty, the honest of them against the world. I also hate the trope, lie to women to protect her. Yeah. Preach it. <laughs> uh, don't care if this is modern shows, period drama, future odyssey, medieval times, um, F rock period drama, uh, is the plot that makes me want to change the channel. I just didn't because it was the last ever and one I will never by choice watch again. Uh, Make a compilation of all Demelza's scenes with the kids. (laughs) That is the only thing I will acknowledge about this season. Oh, wow. Um, Yes. At least it made it easier to let go before the credits were rolling kind of easier. But not you girls, though. I hope to hear a lot more of it. Thank you. Thank you. You will unfortunately Mm -hmm. be hearing so much from us. Yeah. (laughs) Let's shift over to email. 
Thank you to everyone who emailed us this time. We got so, 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 so many. <laughs> they were all really great. Oh, my God. And they're great all really, emails. they're like pages long. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to read some of them out today and keep some of them for next week's Season 5 Overview Inbox because we don't have all day, people. Right. I mean, who wants right. to listen to us read out like 20 plus emails? <laughs> Okay, this one was from Ivy. Uh, hey, girls, what a whirlwind. Just when I was cursing Debbie, things turned around almost enough to make up for the torture we were put through in the first half uh, of the finale. The Ross telling, or the Ross not telling Demelza extremely pertinent information and letting her writhe in, ag- in the agony of being shut out by her husband trope was absolutely horrendous to have to stand and in the last episode ever to boot. Demelza hearing and seeing Ross tell Tess they needed a better place to take their time, sex, just made me want to cry, scream, and give up. There's no way you can convince me this was all necessary. Ross treating Demelza like she's a hysterical little girl who can't handle reality just felt so played out and ridiculous. His infidelity is inexcusable on so many levels. Debbie has a bit of a sadistic side, methinks. On top of that, the way Ross handled Demelza's inquiries by deflecting, being extremely foreboding, and even reminding her of her own mistake was straight-up infuriating and made me made him look like the most narcissistic creep ever. I truly hated him intensely then. I don't think I will ever re- choose to rewatch this episode, which is a major bummer. Debbie also does this thing where she offers a half-baked excuse, explain-away behaviors, that in some cases made no sense in the first place. Speaking specifically of Caroline being jealous of Dwight and Kitty's friendship, which was all because she didn't want to get pregnant. Oh, well, that makes sense. Insert a major sarcastic tone. I hope I, I did you um did you I feel like that's that. just our default setting though, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, she even said she was suspicious because of his having, quote, been in love with another man's wife in the past. That's not only a major stretch, I really don't think he loved Karen, it's another low blow and was very likely a very traumatic time for Dwight for her to just poke at simply to keep his penis away from her. Please, it was outrageous. Caroline would not behave in such a dishonest, manipulative, underhanded, cruel manner with him for such a convoluted reason. Honestly, Caroline is known for her straightforwardness. This makes absolutely exactly. This is the woman who just went. I bought some fucking oranges. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Anyway. As for the good stuff, I loved George coming to the rescue and that awkward drink with Ross afterwards. Love Sam's humbled, overwhelmed reaction when Rosina told him she would still have him. Love Demelza telling Ross she was pregnant, although the cheese ran a bit thick with that cliffside love scene. <laughs> I was a bit cynical about how quick she could bounce back from the infidelity and lying, even if it was supposedly for her own good. The, the slow motion ending was a bit heavy handed, but I still almost teared up because it's over. <laughs> uh, next email is from other Michelle. We will get into the bulk of your email other Michelle about the season in general on the next podcast. But you asked us to address the following points, so we will. Uh, Ross and Demelza's scene in which she asks Ross for the truth was painful to watch. Um, His reference to past persons and events on both their parts and the words, what can be asked cannot be unasked, what is heard cannot be unheard, 
were brutally honest, appropriate to the scene, but to me sounded like a dick thing to say. (laughs) I do not think their respective infidelities were equal or even comparable in this version. Season 3 Ross ignored Demelza. She was flattered, smitten, and scammed by Hugh. She, capital locks, (laughs) regretted her (laughs) actions immediately. Okay, and did not consider <laughs> returning to Hugh after. But Ross, in this version, he was obsessed with Elizabeth, flirted with her on and off, and chose to continue a relationship with her, anybody remember season one to four, until she died. He was emotionally unfaithful to Melza, which was in her face for ten plus years. After he learns Elizabeth mm-hmm. is going to marry George, he tells Demelza he's going to see Elizabeth, which Demelza knows, even if Ross doesn't, that he's going to have sex with her. Post St. Elizabeth's sex, he was not sure how he felt about Elizabeth and took two full episodes and six months to realise and tell Demelza that he loved her more. Elizabeth also had his child, who was lurking about in season four and five in Demelza's face in season five. Not the same. <laughs> Not nearly. <laughs> true. True, true. The whole Absolutely. Elizabeth Ross thing was just... Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, if that, if there is one thing that um, was uh, something that really changed the tone and flavor of this saga was the... Uh, first of all, the shifting of Elizabeth's character from how she was portrayed in the books um, as being a fairly selfish individual um, to being more likable for modern audiences um, and the resulting obsession that seemed to uh, be bigger than... I think probably any of them expected it to be. Um, that was what that was the biggest mistake that um, was made with this adaptation. Oh, for sure, I think they could get away with the changes to Elizabeth's character in season one, and it didn't impact the show. But as soon as we got into season two, it really just started to worm its way into other parts and other fra- relationships, and it really just ended up like sucking the air out of the show. <laughs> Like a mm-hmm. like a souffle yeah. you watched rise and then slowly crumble. <laughs> Look at that, it's pretty. Yes. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, email from Lisa. Hello, Poldark girlfriends. I've only recently discovered your podcasts and I'm now binging from the beginning to ward off the pole darkness. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, and and sorry about the sound. Uh, you know, in the early days of the po- of the podcast, it was we we were learning. Um, <laughs> and thank you for, for hanging in there and listening to that because it's kind of scary. Um, anyway, uh, she goes on to say, I have lots of commentary that I add in my head as I listen. Um, the music choices are always brilliant. Uh, I discovered the show, which led me to the books. So everything blends together in my mind. Overall, I love Debbie Hole, um, <sighs> Debbie Horsfield's uh, adaptation and can forgive missing or change details. God, you are such a better person than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. The acting, characters, the scenery, music, and the story is everything you would want. I've lost count of how many times I've watched series or seasons one through four and listened to the audiobooks. 
Season 5, however, for me, only Episode 7 and 8 redeemed the season for me. Let me say I did not miss Ned. My complaints include rehashing old dialogue, songs and scenes, too many instances, confusing storyline, no cliff staring or furious <laughs> horse riding. Demelza only had two dresses, the red farm chore dress that she even wore in London. Even I, a peasant, wouldn't do that. Demelza also didn't have many good hair days. Bad color, tangled mass, frizz, um, and generally wasn't her most beautiful. Ross always looked pale and drawn. Why would you make such a gorgeous man look so meh? And that dead animal <laughs> sliding around on his head. What the actual fuck? <laughs> Who knew I would be happy to see season four wig when it appeared in Parliament in episode four? Did Debbie Horsfield really turn Preacher Sam into a creepy evangelical pastor who is turned on by a naughty girl? Ugh! And where is Jeffrey Charles living this whole time? At Ampara? Good point. I missed the Cornish gentry. <laughs> I missed the Cornish gentry. We could have used the comic relief of Hugh Bedruggan during Ned's endless visit to Nampara. Overstay your welcome much? Why on earth is Tess still freely walking around? How many times before she burns down the village Nampara and Trenwith? Why no verity? I'm still now binging season five and I'm actually enjoying it. The story flows better and makes more sense watching it back to back, but I'm still disappointed Debbie Horsfield didn't try to create iconic and memorable moments of her own that would feel like Winston Graham. Poldark may be over, but I'm not over Poldark. Thanks for the podcast and a place to feed my Poldark need. <laughs> what a greeting, Val. Yes. Thank you. Hi. <sighs> Wig talk. So, wig talk. Can we wig talk? Can we wig talk? Talk about where it's growing. He had his hat on for a lot of the time, I was so say, that he was, was a wearing big help. his hat indoors, outdoors. <laughs> for... <laughs> maybe they maybe they ran out of wig. <laughs> they were just like. <laughs> By the end of the season, they'd worked out, oh, this is working. Quick, put on the hat. Um, put the hat on. Just put was, the hat on. Oh, it was really bad in the scene where he's telling Demelza how much, how great she is and, you know. Oh, yes. Yeah. When they're getting ready to have some bow chicka wow wow. I was like, I know I'm not supposed to be staring at that, but that's all I am. <laughs> oh. For some reason, like, oh, his hair, God. Yeah, like, it... I don't know, it was, like, really flat on top this week. Like, really poofy at the ends, but very mm-hmm. flat on top. Mm-hmm. I'm like, give him some volume. Yeah. It's not yeah. that hard, people. There's got to be some volumizer sprays out there you could throw in there and just kind of give it a floof. You know, it's give a it a floof. Okay, so time for the Polder Hard Question game. Uh, pick a number between one and three. One. Okay, what sport takes place at Francis and Elizabeth's wedding reception? Oh, a, bare neck knuckle boxing. B, cockfighting. C, tennis. Cockfight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm apparently like yeah. some kind of Francis Elizabeth stan because I was immediately like, where's the chickens at? <laughs> yes, I think we, I think we briefly saw one, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, that was that was pretty hilarious. It's like it seems like just the perfect thing to have at a wedding. Oh, cash. Yeah, yeah. Have a little cockfighting. Um, some of the other uh, the other two questions. 
Uh, in the 18th century, the two major rival parliamentary parties were the Tories, supported by Lord Falmouth, and the Whigs, supported by Sir Francis Bassett. True or false? I mean, true, but I can't really remember which one was which, like who support, like, I know the parties, I just can't remember which person was supporting which. Sir Francis Bassett, he was the hot one. <laughs> no, I know, but I don't remember what political party he was affiliated with. I believe Ross ended up being a Tory, right? Um, I think he wound up, um, you know, supporting the Tories because he was Falmouth's man. Yes. Um, but, um, I think in ideological politically terms, he would have been a, a Whig. He was, he would have been a yeah. Whig. Yeah. Um, and then the other question was who secretly buys Ross's promissory note, allowing him to pay his debt to the war leggings? Oh, Miss Caroline Penman. Yes, because she is a boss. She is a hashtag boss. Yes. Yes, queen. Well, that is all from us this time, but we'll be back next week with our Season 5 Roundup podcast, so get in contact with your random thoughts on Season 5. It can be about any aspect you want us to discuss. Email us at pulldarkfancast at gmail.com or contact us on our social media. We are at pulldarkfancast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or go to our message page on Tumblr. And remember, you can now listen to us on Spotify. So remember to follow us there or wherever wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
Is lonely. My heart hurts, baby. Yes, I feel pain too. 